0: No matter which way you um, uh, approach the study of any subject, you always involve some kind of theoretical um, perspective, whether you're aware of it or not. Um, One theoretical perspective that has been developing recently across many disciplines in the university is affect theory. And um, one of the main proponents of affect theory is Professor Gregory Siegworth, And I'm speaking to Greg today. Greg, how are you doing? Doing okay, doing okay. just fine. Thanks for having me here. Great. Um, so I wanted to speak to you as a, as a cultural theorist and affect theory um, proponent and pioneer about why people who are, who are studying any aspect of martial arts might be interested in affect theory. Uh, sure. <laughs> so, so, so first of question. all, what, so, so I mean, when I hear the word affect, um, I think of kind of Freudian psychoanalysis and Freud talked about affects and emotions and this is mm-hmm. the kind of and then and later political theory um, I read uh, You know the way in which our emotions kind of govern our decisions rather than necessarily kind mm-hmm. of logic So wh- where do you enter the world of, of affects? What what's an, what does <laughs> an affect mean to you? Well,
1: I entered the world of affect through music. I mean that was my background prior to doing anything you know thinking about an academic career was as a recording studio engineer and i listened to all kinds of music i was a big as you were i think a punk kid not quite as uh, maybe uh, my my style my personal style was not quite as mohawky as i think i've seen pictures <laughs> back in the day yeah. but i was i was a you know in the in the early 80s and Western Northwestern PA, punk was hitting, and I was a music director at the radio station. I had a music show on the cable TV station on campus. I wrote a music review column for the campus newspaper. I was working at recording studios, and it was 24/7 music. And for me, music was always something that was there's something ineffable about it. Right? There's something about the experience of music that didn't translate. And there's this great quote from um, didn't translate into just words or meaning. Right? There's a great quote from this rock and roll critic, Grail Marcus. Who says that songs are statements we or are words we feel before they're statements we understand, right and and often my favorite songs I remember early in the eighties like r e m totally transformed my idea of what music might be because I had no idea what Michael Stipe was saying in any of those songs, but mm-hmm. they resonated they they stuck there was something there that was really kind of present to my mm-hmm. own experience, and so uh you know, I didn't read Freud till years later. I didn't, you know, I was immersed in music and, and I was, re- I mentioned this in this, the book behind you uh, in the intro to the book that, you know, I was working in recording studios and a friend of mine had gone off to graduate school who was write- writing about music a lot. He, was, uh, he actually worked at the same record store I worked at and he went off to graduate school and I wasn't thinking about any of that. I was going to be a recording studio superstar. Um, and he sent me these essays by this guy, Larry Grossberg that mm-hmm. he'd been reading and I was like, I don't know what the hell's going on theoretically here. Like I didn't have a big grounding for the theory, but he was writing about punk rock is the rock after punk was an essay that I read early on. And Larry was talking about affective formations and affective alliances. And he was thinking about, he talked about mattering maps versus meaning maps as ways in which we grasp the world around us. Mm -hmm. Um, And so for me, this suddenly gave me a way to understand the kind of thing I was immersed in, in a different, from a different angle and to kind of, Mm -hmm try to um uh, draw some kind of um additional kind of perspective onto it so i um you know i pretty much quit my job as a recording recording studios are miserable places musicians up close are not always great people. (laughs) Um, (laughs) yeah and so i was like i wasn't super happy in the job i had Uh, i was the recording studio i worked at was kind of shady anyway and my wife was looking at um graduate school for music she was uh, speaking about more music she was an opera singer mm-hmm. and so um she had actually gotten accepted at ohio university and and i applied and got in and um and then kind of immersed myself in theory though i was in a telecommunications department i still was thinking about production as my future i was doing lots of radio work and, and did a radio show there at Ohio university called audiosyncrasies and i was um Teaching audio production, so I still was immersed in that. But I got seduced. The department was just—I shouldn't say this on a video, probably—but the department was fairly lame. It's improved now. I'm sure it's great. Um, but uh, but I started taking all these courses in feminist theory and film theory, and uh, and applying the kind of things that are you know trying to use the kind of stuff I knew from music. Um, so it was this entry into the into kind of cultural studies that was yeah. through Larry Grossberg, and then eventually for PhD I got to study with Larry Grossberg. Um, but I began to immerse myself more and more in cultural studies literature and someone we share in common, Megan Morris, Mm -hmm. really flipped my world around. I mean, between Megan and Dick Hebdige and Larry Grossberg, I felt like, and Stuart Hall, obviously, Mm -hmm. um, I felt like this was home. This was a place where I could Mm -hmm. um, uh, kind of feel my way into popular culture, into music and film and and ask questions that that, uh, I couldn't kind of parse before, but this suddenly, uh, made sense. And so uh, for me, that, that entry to affect was through music. But then I had been reading things like Roland Barthes, uh, Camera Lucida, There were things that would filter into Clarion at used bookstores. And of course, he talks about punctum and studium in that book and the idea of how photography can strike us or prick us. Mm. And so the notion of the affective nature of photography and the role that memory, I think when I would think about um, like teaching affect, I always tell my students, as undergrads, I only have undergrads. Like the ways in which I think everyday life gives us a purchase or immediate kind of feeling about affect is around questions of memory and what is memory, where is it located? I talk about voluntary and involuntary memory from Brooke's own, a bit about Proust just enough to make them understand and then um, and about music and about babies right They're all those three of those things you know pre linguistic little babies, and then um, uh, music and memory, I think all give us ways of understanding there 's something more than just. Interpretation and meaning, and you know that kind of stuff.
0: So, so for me, that was
1: where I got. And then, but then I did get into Freud. My largest, when I finally wrote my dissertation with Larry Grossberg, mm-hmm. the major section of my dissertation, the middle middle section, 100 pages, is on Freud's earliest work, right from his, from the earliest kind of studies in hysteria up through Interpretation of Dreams. Everything he writes in the late 1890s to the 1900s is really incredibly rich in terms of trying to understand affect as this is kind of material as well as kind of incorporeal. Um,
0: thing and so freud was really important so in terms of um in terms of cultural studies i guess so the the kind of affective turn was was in very broad brushstrokes it was people going yeah but there's more to a text than its meaning there is the effect it has on you so you you start with music like you know you love music and you know that it can affect you profoundly in ways that aren't cerebral they aren't logocentric it's not about words and meanings it's a about sensations and passions and feelings. Um, And I guess that, so we can apply that to anything. We can apply it to martial arts. So like, you know, you just fall in love with this thing. Like I fell in love with say Bruce Lee, Sonny Chiba And and, and I guess maybe then later on sort of Jean-Claude Van Damme, I love this. There's something. (laughs) that grabs you and that consumes you and gives you uh emotional responses that so it's a kind of communication it's a kind of effect between <laughs> it's a kind of effect um but it's not conscious it's just something it's, a, it's something that cultural <laughs> studies or interpretive approaches just have missed or haven't been able to talk about or express or realize properly and
1: again this is one angle that apex Studies brings. I mean, the kind of fan studies, which is, again, where Larry Grossberg is writing about fans and about, you know, and I think that's, and certainly in, we have, we're have we fans of theory, right? I mean, we're sort of understand that kind of passion for something that grabs you. But that's just one angle. I think the more I get into affect studies, the more I realized that, and again, I don't want this division between, you know, being conscious or the cognitive and the non-cognitive. I do think these things have tendrils that kind of bleed into each other and connect. But I also think that we have to think about, again, the kind of more than or other than that's also Something material and not always simply human, right? So I think that affect allows us to delve into areas where we understand the long sidedness of the material world that's different than um, and, and other than or more than the human. And so I think the ways in which affect can go into those areas too is really important. So that um, I always think of affect as having these kind of three modes. And it kind of comes from um, Deleuze's interpretation of Spinoza that at one level, affect is about what Spinoza called affectio, which is the gets translated as affection, which is the kind of encounter or the kind of point of contact by which bodies intersect, right? By which two bodies meet and the kind of passage of intensity of one sort of another occurs. And at the most basic level, that's what happens with fandom. That's what happens when we think about affect as emotional, that kind of thing. But there's a second term that Spinoza uses, affectus, A-F-F-E-C-T-U-S, which got to do much more with the kind of this kind of continual kind of process, this kind of flowing state that um, bodies are never just bodies. They're always carrying sedimentations, histories, um, embodied practices that aren't just they're in a body's relationship to the the world beyond or outside of, around body. And Mm -hmm. so this way in which this kind of Affect becomes processual and I think there's a lot of, obviously a lot of attention to the idea of affect as process and not just this point of contact. And then Deleuze kind of adds or he finds this third kind of mode of affect in Spinoza, which is, for him, imminence, which is the idea that anything can connect, this kind of realm of pure potential or this kind of infinite kind of connectedness that you're always, you never connect all the different pieces and parts. Um, only in Spinoza's worldly God is able, God or nature does that, but we have this kind of Potentiality to connect and that those three areas for me when one does affect when I read different people's approaches to affect I see them either engaging as affect as contact or point of contact Mm -hmm. affect is this kind of continual process or affect is this kind of field of potential that's uh, available in any context Mm -hmm. and so uh, that I've, I've written a piece recently where I talk about different people engaging like Sarah, Sarah Ahmed's work I think is very much in that kind of first mode she's really thinking about um, points of contact and this kind of her even queer phenomenology work is this kind of body to body and whether it's a table as a body or a human body um, engaging in a kind of set of relations and then someone like Lauren Berlant. Um, who does, who understands the kind of, wants to understand that feeling, like well, she has an essay called Feeling Historical, that's really brilliant. I think it builds on Raymond Williams' work on structure of feeling and talks mm-hmm. about the kind of historical kind of ongoing patterings and co- contourings of different sets of kind of st- structures of feeling that is kind of in the second mode. And again, I would argue that even the third mode, someone like Patricia Clough, who does this really amazing work with digital culture and the kind of her transformation of psychoanalysis to something that's much more rooted in, um, in the codings of of digital culture and the kind of infinite connectedness of that. But I would argue that anyone who does work in affect theory inevitably works across all three of those modes. It's not as if they are separate modes of endeavor. Sarah Ahmed ends up kind of making these other kind of affiliations that go beyond the body to body contact and talks Mm. about longer field. So it's, you know, for me, it's, it's, um, it's a, it's a fairly complicated endeavor, it can be, though I think I, I approach things very, like for me, it's about the ordinary affects of everyday life.
0: Mm. Um, well, I was, so- when you were talking and before you mentioned structures of feeling, I was remembering, I think pro- probably the first essay of yours that I read was, uh, it was an essay meant to be about Deleuze, by- <laughs> Deleuze and cultural yeah. studies, or something yeah. like that. But actually, it was about it was easily sixty percent of it was about Raymond Williams and yeah. Raymond Williams's notion of the structure of feeling. I mean, for those who may be watching or listening, who don't know what uh, what a structure of feeling is, how would you? Sure how would could you give some examples because i th- i think that's the idea of a structure of feeling is it's like very metaphorical you know when you first yeah. using it oh it's a structure which is always a metaphor anyway when we're, when we're using it mm-hmm. of feeling like you know what right. what is a structure of feeling and where do you find one what does it look like well i think
1: when williams talks about it he thinks a lot about generational kind of differences and ways in which different generations embody their relationship to their present moment. And I think he, he looks a lot across formations of literature or different kinds of film practices or, you know, modes of everyday life that suddenly feel different. I remember a number of years ago, I always thought I was the same age as my students, like we shared the same structure of feeling. Mm-hmm. And the example I always give is in the U.S. in the late nineties, um, Jackass, the TV show oh, on MTV yeah. and Tom Green show which were all about kind of public embarrassment and self-humiliation and ridicule. And, and I couldn't, I didn't find any of it. I didn't laugh at any of it. I found it really kind of upsetting, The kind of idea of exposing people to their own uh, exposing them their, to bodily harm or exposing them to kind of public ridicule, as Tom Green did so well. And my mm-hmm. students were all writing about it. And, and Williams has this thing about, you know, sometimes jokes that work, but previous generations don't work. Yeah. Certain yeah. kinds of, you know, sensibilities that you find across different, again, formations of literature or, or, or film practices, or even the ways in which we embody A set of you know how we walk, or the kind of you know the kind of discourse we have, or the those all embody for him different structures of feeling, and and he talks about them as having you know different modes. Like some are emergent, some are coming up, some are like a new generation is emerging, and there's new ideas and new sensibilities that they have that upset their
0: parents. And um, does a structure of feeling, or is it always maybe? bounded by a gen or like, you know, if we translate into the kind of like Pierre Bourdieu's sense of uh, of, of a habitus like, you know, mm-hmm. so like I have one and as I get older then I can maybe still identify with and feel the same way with a certain kind of cross-section of society. Mm-hmm. Or is it something that you can possibly that can change within the self as well? Like, like, so for instance, if I, I have to refer to martial arts because, you know, I, well, I want to anyway. So for instance, in my own biography, the thing, that, the thing that got me into martial arts most, I think, was the big flashy kicks and punches, the really spectacular stuff, but also tinged with mysticism, the belief that there was something that could profoundly happen within your body that would give you some kind of superpowers. And then as I've gone older, that's all changed. So now I just look at that stuff and it just does, it does nothing to me. Mm-hmm. Like I can't, I can, apart from Bruce Lee, uh, anyway, uh, but I can barely remember wanting that stuff and now it's a diff- I have a completely diff- different relationship with it and it's almost like looking at people who are still into that stuff that I thought I was into when I was younger I feel I have very complicated emotions to them, is it? So when we say structure of feeling, is is there one inside me and is there another I can, one
1: I mean I think there's certainly an affect studies you'll find people writing stuff that's quasi autobiographical about their own kind of changes in sensibilities or moods or being struck. We have an essay we're working on in the journal Capacious, uh, the the online journal I edit on cultural studies about someone who has a, a panic and anxiety disorders and goes through their kind of, how they learn to kind of deal with this new sense of being embodied and how they learn to embrace certain kind of new practices as a way to pull themselves out of this. And so I think there's something, obviously, the, the one of the kind of ready ways to understand affect is something that's again personal or autobiographical but I also think for Williams structures of feeling are impersonal right they are they're located out in the world doesn't mean they can't fold in or become part of the self but I think there's also that kind of relationship that has to be you know this kind of a long-sidedness or the kind of um, for me I mean affect studies for me is always about um, taking hold of this event or this encounter without giving up on all the things all the producibilities that made this encounter possible and so you have to take account of right alongside of this very thing you want to grasp all the things that fled in fed into it and all the things that follow after it right so you know i was thinking about um i'm writing this piece the intro to the next issue of culture of capacious and trying to understand uh in a really short and, and small way the george floyd women in the us yeah. and yeah. so this kind of uh, encounter, um, which produced a whole, I mean, and, and conjures up all history of Confederate flags and statues, mm. this kind of, all these things that kind of led up to, and there's all bunch more than that, but then also a kind of future orientation towards rethinking what the role of the police is or, or the defunding or decentering of police as a practice. And so there's this whole bundle of things that this encounter produces that's at once a kind of remembering backwards, but then is, someone like Lisa Blackman says, we also can remember forwards, right, drawing on Lewis Carroll and how we can use these memories to produce uh, potential changes. And for me, that's one of the um, exciting things about Affect is the attempt mm-hmm. to grasp the potential, right? Okay. not just the actual, but the potential or the virtual that's present in any encounter or any moment. And that's what, you know, I think that's one of the things that it does. It makes it often speculative. It makes it often kind of, the writing is a little more uh, for some people, can be for some folks, not as grounded in and where Williams was always critiqued for structure of feeling. And, you know, there's, I grab quickly politics and letters. There's a couple of moments in this book where Williams is critiqued by, you know, um, his interlocutors about how structures of feeling seems very kind of intangible and how does he, how does he justify what he's trying to do with this? And so, you know, that okay. it affects the, I think
0: it does affect the writing practice. So, so if I, in terms of, um, <laughs> in terms of, Let's imagine a few different sorts of scholar who who are interested in affect theory. And let's so so we'll have a a historian who's working with archives and archival documents, maybe literary documents. And there is something whether that's about martial arts or anything else. And we'll have maybe a popular culture person who knows about semiotics and they want to analyze Mm -hmm. films and and, and the way that, Mm -hmm. that that. martial arts exists in popular culture and then maybe we've got someone who is maybe either an anthropologist or or wants to do an ethnographic kind of study of a of a context or a practice how might how might um affect theory how might they be able to use it to to kind of rejig or see things or engage with things that otherwise they might not have been able to It
1: depends, of course, you know, on the, and you gave me some particular examples. I mean, the archives, I had a reading group we just finished this week. We we're reading Jenny Rice's book, Awful Archives, which looks at conspiracy theories. I wants to understand the way in which archives are made and how do you argue with someone who has this kind of belief that's so eccentric, so far outside of anything that fits within your worldview, how do you argue? And she, um, she does this interesting reading where it's much more about, and it's very affective, uh, in terms of using the kind of feelings or the kind of embodiment that someone has in their viscera of believing in this thing, what does it mean to believe in this in this particular point of view? And and it's very much about you know she ends up kind of turning to this aesthetic kind of mode of judgment. And it's not really a judgment at all. It's really trying to understand the ways in which archives um, construct um, a kind of um, a kind of sensibility that ultimately she, at the end of the book without, I guess I'll give away the end. She finds you really can't argue with someone with the conspiracy theory. She actually thinks the ideas of, of kind of going out to the material substrate that allows them to fomate. So she closes with uh, Sandy hook, people that believe that there were, you know, actors and Sandy hook and the children were not actually dead. And this one guy who goes after them all the time and tries to correct them. And at the end she's, um, She says he decides he can't, everything he says just gets turned back against him. It just becomes one more element in the conspiracy theory, it folds back in. He learns to kind of de-platform them. He has his son's image copyrighted and has YouTube and other places take it down every time it appears and just kind of, and it works. It kind of stops their voices from circulating. But she does try to understand the ways in which archives um, become these sites of more than or extra than. And in some ways it parallels. She, In her writing itself, she tries to engage in this kind of process of construction that uh, in some ways duplicates uh, or at least echoes what she sees happening in these archives. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've strayed far from your question, but I've had another example. Um, I guess for me, it's always about this affective turn is, which is a term I never use. In fact, in the, in the, in the affect theory reader, we say, it's not a turn. It's not, there's not a turn here. It's been going on for a long time. Mm-hmm. Now, if you go back again, and we're talking about Freud, and we're talking about, I mean, Spinoza is, is central here, of course. And um, it's not a turn, though. Certainly, it's a, it's a kind of, a, a, a kind of new coalition of people working across different disciplines. But I also think about affect as a kind of tune, of, of tuning yourself, of of letting yourself Um, enter into a kind of um, relationship with the material that is, renders you sensitive to certain kind of um, extra or more than things that are emerging from the work Mm -hmm. so that you're not uh, reticent to kind of follow out those kind of vapor trails into where other kind of very tangential connections might happen to things that may not be immediately present in the work, but if you're with it long enough, suddenly you, you kind of, um, are able to kind of um, step into that, um, that space and inhabit it in ways that allow you to um, say more than what the, what the text produced as meaning, right? Mm. And so, um, so that's what, again, that's what Jenny does in her book, is she, she actually does kind of enter into these kind of conspiratorial spaces in ways that allow her to see something, that kind of aesthetic something more. Mm. Like for one point, she's, she looks at these, um, she's in Israel and there's these um, telephone poles that are just plastered and plastered and plastered they're, they're inches thick of different kinds of you know handbills and and conspiracy theories and all this stuff and what she 's fascinated by is the thickness of the thing right the the actual thickness of this kind of accumulation of mm-hmm. stuff over time not so much what it says right but the the ways in which those conspiracy theories kind of build and build and build on themselves and continue to accrete evidence whatever that evidence is um, and so in some ways it's it's turning yourself to the contour, or the texture of something, turning yourself to the, again, back to the kind of alongside-edness sidedness is there in the object of study and trying to wade into that with a little more um, purpose than you might otherwise.
0: Okay, I mean, I, I think just as I'm listening to you talk that there's, I think that there's, there's a lot of things battling now to get out, but I think that in my head, I have con- always con- maybe conflated or Unduly or unjustifiably connected the notion of affect with enjoyment and the pleasure of the text and so on, so that for instance, like so that the idea of pleasure can cross cut and really subvert debates like is MMA violent, and a lot of people go well yes it is and no it isn't and it's consensual but it's battering the hell out of someone, then you have to think well what 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 is in this for the viewer? what is in this for the participant? There's a lot more going on then. So there's a lot more going on than it's violent, it isn't violent, it's like, it's all these, it's many different things. But yeah. then I also think about the, the pleasure that, because I'm quite logocentric, and, and I, I, need to have a, I need to have a thought through rationale for something, or I believe I need to have a thought through rationale for something. But, but when, I do, when, I indulge, when I do a practice like Tai Chi, I no longer know why I do it. And and then you have paradigms like anthropological paradigms of ritual, or it's just some kind of repetition compulsion Mm -hmm. or whatever. But I can't I can't work out what it is that it gives me other than a kind of pleasure, a kind of embodied. Mm-hmm. And is, I mean, is that something that affect that the language of affect studies could could contribute to my understanding of why I enjoy certain things, why I enjoy certain films, certain practices that I can't even rationalize as it's self defense or it's it's for my physical blah, 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 I can't put a finger on it does affect studies help people to put the finger on the je ne sais quoi the... <laughs> but you've got you've got
1: Surely you've been immersed in it long enough there's something that you could at least begin to latch on to you've been I mean, is there something Eastern about it? Is there something about the nature? It, I mean,
0: I could talk about it forever and I could think about rituals and habits and, and hygiene okay. and discipline and health and bodily structure and feeling uh, and also ideology. And, and, but I'm just wondering if, like, if, 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 if affect studies might give me a, a paradigm or a lens through which to focus this. That's something I could add to my list of reasons why I continue to do Tai Chi forms and I have no idea like there's, there's no rational, logical reason why I would continue to do them.
1: But you're trying to, you're trying to put it into rational. You, you said you're logocentric, So I think you're already oh. kind of, you know, so I, I don't know how to help you, Paul. I don't know how to help you. <laughs> Other than I, I got a feeling you kind of know that there's a mixture of things that work there in, in some way. It's a kind of knowing that's not about the kind of, again, cognitive knowing, but I don't know, if, you know, sometimes logic escapes and that's fine. You don't have to have, you know, I don't, I'm quite happy to watch movies and go, that was fun. I enjoyed that or that disturbed me. And if it, if I need to figure out what it is, then I think generally I can figure out, you know, 26 factors that mm. bleed in and interpenetrate each other. But I think it's fine to live with ambiguity, to live with. Yeah.
0: Uh, and I mean, you, you could th- to live within the sense of a structure of feeling that like. So, for instance, you know, you are talking about. You are talking about George Floyd and your uh, and, and memory and, and the status of the of of confederate flags and statues and we have something similar going on in Britain at the moment it's um uh, to a to a different degree and differently orientated but um what was it where was I going with that um structure of feeling oh yeah to, so, so in the sense that there's some things that y- you can get into and then you can think about why you can't get into something else it's like you know th- there's been a lot of really offensive stuff like it's not black, li- white lives matter, all lives matter. And, and you're like, oh man, and it, it's, it's, you're so missing the point. But then there've been some of these memes that have kind of made me laugh. And you know, like kind of like, you know, just ridiculous things, nonsense things matter, right? And, and it's like, there's, a, there's this part of me, deep down inside me, there's a kind of a chuckle, like that's actually quite witty or something. But I have no, literally no desire to join in with that joke. So, and it's like, it's a structure of feeling where I I feel like if I actually put the effort in to join in with that in any way, that I would be doing something very wrong. But some things you really passionately want to get involved in, don't you? I mean, Mm -hmm. that's where the the, the notion of a structure of feeling comes in handy. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, so maybe there's a, there's a, I mean, there's a structure of feeling, is it a structure of fantasy or is it a, is it a, structure of practice I
1: think it's a I mean one of the I always think of affect uh, studies as being both more aesthetic and more pedagogic than a lot of theories that a lot of um what affect studies is about is is kind of training yourself in this kind of sensorium right this is kind of very Lauren Berlantish, but the way in which um as you kind of enter into these fields of relationships or practices the ways in which you feel you're your, your own embodiment of them becoming um, captured by both pleasures and predicaments. I think there's always, I've written a bit about the idea that the, the affective connection is always at once a kind of pleasure and sometimes a predicament, and that we have to understand the ways in which we have to um, parse that. Um, it's really, I think most, kind of affective encounters are a mix right there's never a pure a pure pleasure or a pure kind of predicament there's always this kind of ratio of one to the other and a a matter of knowing in enacting these in your own writing practice or your own kind of conceptualizations what are you reproducing or what are you you know what are you opening up as possibility and so You know, the the journal I edit, Capacious, is this idea of allowing, particularly junior scholars, a first opportunity to to share their work with the world, Mm -hmm. because a lot of times I've had people email me and say, even people reviewing for the journal going, my first piece they sent out, they shut me down. Like, they just told me this was shit. don't Never write again. What do you think you're doing? I've never, I can't imagine someone writing that, but I guess it happens. Um, And we wanted to create this space where people could enter into um, scholarship and venture into the kind of predicaments and pleasures that that affect studies allows you to do mm-hmm. and not have someone sit in that kind of seat of judgment of know-it-all and kind of tell you. Mm-hmm. And so our, 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 our reviewer guidelines really much talk about, you know, how we want to build this kind of relationship. We urge you to sign your reviews. We urge you to, um, if the, if the person wants to contact you at some point along the way, as they do revisions, if they're revisions, that mm-hmm. that's a possibility of we will filter them through the journal as well. And I, I think there's a way in which we enact, the kind of world we want to be in, right? The kind of the space we want to, to be, um, to be created. And it, the journal for me was a chance to say, here's what a journal that is about, not just about affect, but about doing affect as a kind of as a kind of pedagogical training, kind of entering into the, the spaces of your own kind of um, disciplinary practices, and allow you to, um, in, to, to at least be free enough to explore and to um, to make mistakes perhaps, mm-hmm. but that, not have someone shut you down because you didn't read all of the, you know, works of so-and-so before you dared say this thing. And, and so it's been really rewarding in terms of um, converting what I think is important about affect in the academy is more about, for me anyway, um, offering opportunity for, mm-hmm. um, to explore areas or issues that are, and for for younger people especially and for junior scholars that um, that are a little less um, prone to the kind of discipline disciplinization that happens. And the great thing about affect is it does kind of cross over, right? So when we get pieces, they, they may not fit any particular area of study. And I'll I'll find reviewers who maybe don't even you know speak to the well do they, they know you they know this area of work that you're doing or know the kind of thing you're writing about but an attempt to kind of engage in a conversation
0: that doesn't necessarily uh, fall into tried and true kind of lines yeah. of... No, I, 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 I like that. I mean, I, we try and do that with... I mean, the one thing I really hate about um, academic publishing is when you've, so, you, you know, someone said, oh, do you wanna write an article, blah, 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 and you go, okay, yeah, I'll do that. And then you meet this faceless, horrible portal and you have to engage with a portal, not a human in any way. And it's just like this is yeah. ugly and it's inhuman and it's machinic and I don't like it. Yeah. And so with the with less well, a bit with the journal, we, we try to have a, an interactive one-to-one, like a, a conversation with a person, um, as a person, as opposed to like a, a system. Your mm-hmm. article is at this stage of the process. But certainly with, uh, I mean, you have conferences too, don't you, around around affect, but we, we have them around martial arts studies. And when we began, it was very much all just a jumble of people. And after a few, few years and a few conferences, people start to speak the same kind of language and speak the same kind of terms. But we still try not to build walls between the inside and the outside of, of the right. field. Because with martial arts, you know, there's a lot of, uh, non-professional, non-academic uh, right. people who want to come, and we've always got to kind of navigate that thing about standards and 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 what what is the apparatus that that how do we um, how do we you know how does something become legitimate scholarship and so on. It's much easier with a conference because it's yeah. more like people hanging out and chatting, but it's mm-hmm. harder with the journal. So you're saying that with the journal, you just remain open. We do. To create the forms of writing and create the forms of yeah. of, of, of publication.
1: Mm-hmm. And I respond to everything. I mean, I spend a lot of time responding to essays that may not ever go on to reviewers, but I give feedback. Everybody submits something gets feedback of some sort. And I try to make it generative. I try not to say, what the hell, this isn't anywhere close to what you should be doing. And as, as you said, we try to, whenever I reply to people, I say, this is the start of a conversation, not a kind of set of demands. This is a, a chance to, and when you return your essay, we've asked to do revisions I ask you not just to return the essay but return a, a kind of a memo of some sort that says here's how I understood your comments here's what I tried to do here's what I refused to do here's what I think yeah. where I think I you know I, I think my original idea was was right and so you I want to make sure that people feel they have the capacity right to engage in this practice that's always fraught with tensions for a whole variety of reasons that yeah. at least removes that kind of onerous kind of sense of kind of someone's looking over your shoulder correcting you all the time. Yeah. And something that gently kind of, you know, but perhaps moves you to think about this in a different light or pushes you that we had one essay that went through, I think four sets of revisions. Um, and um, Derek McCormick there in Oxford was the reviewer. And he was amazing, you know, and, and the author's um, uh, kind of ability to kind of take in, And 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 to push back on some things, but to produce an essay that was really outstanding in the end. But it was this kind of, you know, it was again. There's two bodies encounter each other. There's a kind of set of passage of intensities that produce this kind of line of variation that draw out new connections. I mean, there really was doing in the in the writing itself, and in the in the eventual publication, the very thing that I think APEC does in the everyday.
0: I think that maybe then. You're occupying a much more ethically uh supportable position than because what we do in the with the journal martial arts studies is we're kind of open to all commas but we what we stipulate is that it you have to have engaged with what we have said before because it's a conversation that takes place in these pages of this journal and if you send because if you send something in that that refers to nothing mm-hmm. except maybe like like the Dao De Jiang and Sun Tzu and the art of war. And it's like, that's fine. But have you checked to see if anyone's (laughs) written about this before? Like this probably isn't your new idea that you thought of last night after training. So we we kind of go, no, you have to at least show an awareness of this journal. What we've, we've already been going for five years. You know, it's not a big ask. It's not like a really long and broad field, but even then, you know, so so we kind of do go more down a disciplinary line. You
1: have a you have a more kind of delimited kind of object, right? I mean, martial arts. I mean, affect is. Yeah. I mean, we get stuff. People writing about architecture. People writing about pedagogy. People writing about anorexia nervosa. People writing about you know um, um, glitch culture and you know everything else. So it's quite a. It's just fun. It's fun to read all these different things, but yeah.
0: And um, you, you didn't, you reviewed for us one time, didn't you? You reviewed, I
1: think I did review something back a while ago. Yeah, yeah and you refused to do
0: it anonymously. You actually wrote, I don't no, do I
1: don't, anonymous. no, I always, even when I do book reviews, anything, I never review anonymously. I think you put it no. somewhere
0: in the middle of the review just so that we. Can... <laughs> right, exactly. I usually
1: <laughs> make sure that I drop hints that, you know, if you know yeah. my work. As I have, have written read read in it. my book, yeah. <laughs> <I don't, laughs> it's me asserting, like, you need to read me, but it's just like, I want to make sure that I. Yeah, yeah. And again, I've had people, I've had the greatest relationships, Joe DeVille. And I he reviewed a piece of his for um, economics and society on debt. And mm-hmm. I signed my review and Joe DeVille worked together with me to edit a giant issue of cultural studies a kind of almost triple issue on debt. And mm-hmm. I only met him because I signed the review and he contacted me. And I think that's, and as a junior scholar, I was happy to help him you know, uh, and, and he's genius, I didn't have to help him much at all, but to produce this work. And I think the more we form these alliances, right, back to yeah. grossberry and effective alliances within the academy, because we all need each other, particularly
0: now. It's, you know, it's, so I think, I think you're right, and I think it's a good model. I mean, I really, I do respect blind peer review, but I think that if, so if I was reviewing something the other day. And I, I knew the author, like, even though it was, it was blind, I still knew who, who this work was by. And in the reviewer form, it said, say whether, like, let us know whether we can reveal your identity. And I was thinking, sure, I'm going to say some negative things. I know I'm going to say some negative things. Mm-hmm. And I decided, yeah, you can reveal my identity because it made me have to engage in a much more um, hospitable and generous and polite nice manner right. than I could have done if I've gone this is wrong and you should have done it like this and he hasn't read enough of my work and you <laughs> know I think it's important and I think you know I can't
1: think of anyone maybe I'm maybe I'm purposely forgetting but again our reviews is not like you get your review back and you go oh it's all good thank you we again people review have to go revisions three or four times but I think the way in which they're framed in the fact that there's a there's a person here that you know you're getting feedback from. And often we try to pull on people who are names in the field, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You, know, you know who McCormick is, Banning is, who's reviewed for us, you know who you know, Katie Stewart is or someone and so there's this, um, this the idea that you're being read by someone who's trying to really help you. And so no one's been like angry or said, you know, I know you can register your disagreements. No one's mm-hmm. run off in a huff because I think when you, it, when you kind of put yourself out there as a reviewer it it doesn't necessarily curve I hope it doesn't make people be reticent to offer critique but it means you just phrase it and frame it in a way that's much more about being generative than just shutting down a, a, a avenue of thought and again for me affects, affect studies is about that that's kind of generativity that kind of drawing on the potentiality of what might be present but you know submerged or a direction that might be um
0: uh might be worthy of
1: uh not pursuing or pursuing
0: yeah sorry i was um uh, i was um, i was gesticulating widely saying no no this meeting's being recorded but my wife just brought me in a in a oh. of t- <laughs> <Yeah>. ah. <laughs> Afternoon tea. But we've been we've been talking for a long time we could talk all day uh, as we have in the past when we've when we've met face to face yeah not but, often enough uh, but uh, for now, I'm gonna I'm gonna say uh, thank you, Greg, and I'm gonna sure. stop the recording. Say thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you. Thanks.